Welcome to the program. It's Friday. Guess, by the way, who is back today besides the venerable John Curtis, curmudgeon at law, official food critic of the What's Right program. We also have Ash, Hi. who has been gone this week. And uh, Ash Lost is- in the desert. Lost. L- lo- Another the lost-, lost vegan. <laughs> For 40 Happy- days and 40 nights. <laughs> Happy Friday, guys. I, I hope you're uh, doing well. First of all, I, before we get into the food, I have to ask you, John, um, masks came off this week on airplanes, airports. I know you're crying over this. You're killing people. You're killing people. Grandma <laughs> is a danger. Oh, my God. How could you do this to us? Oh, my God. So I flew yesterday. Suck it, liberals. <laughs> So I actually was on an airplane (laughs) earlier this week, and it was so nice being in the airport without a mask, seeing everyone. I mean, there's some faces that are better off with a mask, but there's one situation I saw. There was a lady wearing one of those serious N95 masks, but her backpack was filthy. And I was like, maybe just some like general hygiene is a good start. Yeah, hand washing always worked for me. But okay. yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I, you know, I follow all this stuff on Twitter, and people on Twitter were very, uh, very uh, excited about how relaxed it suddenly seemed in airports and on airplanes to see people uh, not being forced to breathe in a certain way by absurd regulations. And I state that as a proud liberal. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want you to know that, you know, I, I only follow the, the most serious of publications, national publications, uh, personally. And the day after this mass mandate dropped, the Babylon Bee reported <laughs> that grim study reveals all 2 million Americans who flew yesterday are now dead of COVID. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's, that, 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 that's actually the wet dream of, of, of a lot Fauci. of... Fauci. That's a Fauci. That's a Fauci wet dream. See, I told you everybody died. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, but you make a great point. It yeah, was. I mean, oh my God. I could call out people on Facebook. I mean, I had some titanic battles with these idiots on Facebook back into 2020 and 2021. And I just, I just want to forget about them. They were wrong about everything, okay? All of the fear mongers, they were wrong, wrong, wrong. And we're all going to live life again and take precautions. Wear your mask if you want to. It may provide some protection for you. If you think it does, good for you. But don't tell other people how to breathe. That's a pretty simple. You would think something that simple would be axiomatic in the world. It's a big word. (laughs) (laughs) It means automatic, kind of. Okay. Well, I, I, lawyers, you have to explain so many things to them. Define your terms, Jahan, (laughs) define, but you're right. I was on the flight and everyone was relaxed. Flight attendants were relaxed. Everyone just seemed at ease. So, and there were some people wearing masks. Some people weren't all is good. I'm happy. Now I know uh, that you were on Twitter, very uh, loud and proud uh, during all of this fighting the insanity. So my question to you, and all and all of this, have you? Do you feel like you've you've made like lost some friends over your COVID views and over your your you know opposition to some of this mitigation? I, you know, I, I don't think nonsense. so. Maybe some 
Facebook friends that weren't my good friends. They were just Facebook, quote, friends, air quotes around friends, you know, who couldn't believe that I was wanting to kill grandma, you know, things like that. And, and you know, immediately bought into all the fear and, and just spent the next two years thinking that everybody was going to die from something that they weren't going to die from. So, yeah, I probably lost a few, but I didn't care at some point. It was like, you know, some, at some point you just got to stand up for what you believe. And I, I'm sorry, I just believe that everybody has the right to breathe the way they want to breathe. To me, that's a fundamental right, right up there with you know, freedom of speech and freedom of religion. <laughs> I, won't, I won't get into the Second Amendment, but I could. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Well, it, it was, I, I still haven't had an opportunity to fly. Ash, you flew yesterday. It was nice. It was nice. And you flew Southwest, which is who, who, who we frequently fly. I have two observations about this. I've said it during the week, but, you know, what? It, basically, number one, the airlines were all so quick to drop it. Which, no kidding. Yeah, oh my gosh. Which tells us everything we need to know that they load this thing even more than we possibly did. Because look, the frontline enforcers were their own staff, their their own people. And yeah. and it and then I think it just it 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 is an acknowledgement that everybody inside the industry knows how much this tormented people and what and, and, and the diminished quality of, of experience and how angry people were and how difficult it was to manage travelers you well, know, who, I also who were think, forced to comply with this. I also think, I mean, it, it's, it's counter, you might think this is counterintuitive, but I think, I think the Biden administration secretly likes like the ruling too. They may say they're going to appeal it, but I think they're going to do a half-assed appeal on the whole thing because I think at some point it was like the whole, all of the United States is like enough already, but they had to hold on because of that 10 or 20% of rabid people that were going to go crazy if this isn't, if we're not protecting everybody from everyone else all the time. And I think the Biden administration sort of went, okay, we're going to appeal that. We're so upset about this ruling. <laughs> Thank God. You know what I mean? The appeal risks eroding executive privilege or, or ex executive power because what it would do is it would take those and this is now very it's kind of in the weeds but it would just it, getting it, esoteric yeah. another big word axiomatic all right well get esoteric on us but i think I, I what i say is there's a lot of risk to appealing it because what if it goes to supreme court ultimately and they slap it down right and right. then at that point there's precedent and and so so I I think this is the perfect setup. They can blame the Trump appointed justice from Florida. They can say it's all this. It's Florida judge bad. We did everything right. We tried, but in the end, you know, um, yeah. you know, we can't we can't fight this fight. And they they're this gave them an out. So. Mm. I'm happy that their masks are off. Now we just can go back to complaining about bad food on airlines, right? Yeah, we can, which is the worst. It can only go up from there. One quick question I meant to ask you last week, Sam. It, it, how much is the enforcement in Europe going on right now? Because I was in France in January. You were two, there two months after me. Are they still as strict? Are they backing off the accelerator? Are, are they tripling down on these dumbass policies or what? Well, it's going to surprise you when I tell you the Germans uh, are extremely uh, uh, efficient in their enforcement of mask rules. Jawohl. Uh, you are the, – the enforcement in Germany was unbelievable. 
they were all over me on the plane. They were all over me in the airport. And what I noticed, though, is that the public is less obedient than even we were in airports here. Oh, the public is over it. So rank and file Germans and other travelers, you know, flowing through the country, over it. Then we got on the you know the connection flight in Frankfurt to Prague, and so we're flying. I'm flying another Lufthansa flight, German. Um, yes. Yes, niche, niche. <laughs> so the masks on, and the minute uh, an errant nose hole popped up somewhere, you know, Fraulein, you know, yeah, right. you know, uh, 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 the, the errant uh, nose yes, hole. Uh, she, Fraulein, came over and started wagging oh, her finger. God. And the minute that plane touched down in Prague, yeah. the minute everyone walks out of the plane in Prague, They're everyone off. just ripped those masks off, and. We all got COVID right there in Prague. Right. I mean, it, it, but and half but, of you and, died, right? And right then, on the spot. Absolutely. By, some people didn't even make it to the carousel. <laughs> Their baggage is still going around. And so in Prague, where the numbers are low like they are here, uh, I would say this too Germany at this time and still is, I mean, experiencing higher numbers. But, you know, that we can't get stuck on that's that's a BS paradigm, right? The high numbers versus low numbers. It's yeah, total we, we nonsense. have to mask up because we have yeah, high numbers. Yeah, it's nonsense. Yeah, yeah. So, but but nonetheless, in Prague, it was no masks except for when you're in the subway, and oh. and on a tram or a bus, and I would say compliance was about ninety percent there. Yeah. yeah. So it was. I'm but, curious what it's like in France. I'm not going to be back in France for a while. I'll be in Italy in the fall, but I'm hoping by then. I hope they do away with this, the this, this with all the the, yeah. the vaccine mandates and all that. There's again Prague. You can go in any restaurant anywhere. You do not have to show a pass sanitaire Ugh. or a green pass. You yeah. don't have to qualify yourself. And that's the thing about this. In this entire process, we have accepted these these incursions to liberty. We've accepted them. Yeah, and well. <laughs> and we've just and so we just we line up and go to restaurants. Look at beep, 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 come here. Look at my pass. Look at my pass. George my, private, had it right. my private health care data here. Would you like yeah. to see it, John? Here's my private health care data. George Orwell had it right in 1948. You know, when you, you just make people feel unsafe, they'll give up all their liberties and just tell, ask the state to take over. And that's just what they did. All right, let's talk about food when we yeah, get back. Yeah, sorry, I'm getting tedious. No, let's, no, let's no, talk no, about no, appetites. no. Appetites. We're going to eat someplace good this weekend. That's the plan, right? So Lots of good places. Lots of weekend. good places. Excellent. All right, what's right with Sam and Ash? Food Friday, we have... John Curtis, the one and only official food critic of the show, uh, here in studio with us, as well as Ash and Rockford, which is a uh, fun fact. Little Rocky's, Rocky. Rocky's full name. So we will be back right after this. Sam and Ash Injury Law has been named the official injury attorneys of the Henderson Silver Knights. Sam and Ash Injury Law, they care, they help, you win. 702-820-1234 or salmonashlaw.com because you deserve what's right. And we're back. What's right with Sam and Ash? News Talk 840 KXNT. Food Friday. Fantastic. Good to have John Curtis here, the lost vegan. Also, friends, he, <laughs> as we discovered last week, uh, he may be a Democrat, but he tips like, like a Republican. Republican yes. <laughs> <laughs> and Ash, good to see you, Ash, here in, uh, in studio with us. Uh, John, food. What's the food news you can use uh, this week uh, here in Las Vegas? Let me give you a few scoops here. I mean, we, I think we may have touched on one or two of these last week with Ash. Uh, Palms is reopening soon. They say by the end of April. I mean, that's like a week away. I don't know how that's going to happen. But uh, Vetri 
which was at the top of the palms, was a multi-million dollar uh, high-end Italian restaurant from uh, Philadelphia's greatest Italian chef, Mark Vetri, V-E-T-R-I, is set to reopen at the top of the palms. When I heard this from somebody at the palms, you could have knocked me over with a wishbone, okay? I'm, I was just like, huh? I love Vetri, high-end Italian, great pastas. He, he also has Osteria Fiorella out on the Red Rock Casino. And, but I, thought, I always thought that that restaurant was too fancy, too expensive, almost too good for the Palms clientele. And as soon as the Palms went out of business, I figured Mark would move his, 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 his crew back out to the west side, make a lot of money out there, and, which he is doing. But apparently they're going to reopen top of the palms and the day it opens it'll probably be the best italian restaurant on the strip well and and take me through this so the palms for for people who aren't following or out of out of town you know this this is a of was a very high-end hotel resort that's not on the strip it's off the strip it's off of flamingo, uh, flamingo. And yeah, I call it a strip property, but it's really like about a half mile. It's off the across strip. the street from Rio, right, essentially, right, yeah. or up up the up the way, kind of kitty corner from Rio. So, and it it had a lot of very premium food restaurants and everything. And it's one of the few hotels I can think of that has yet to return right. from from COVID. Well, the Palm it, it this sold. Will, this will, yeah, it sold to the the Indian, and I I don't know which Indian tribe. Yet. San Manuel. Manuel. San Manuel. Thank you. Uh, uh, not to be confused with Sam Merjofsky. Merjofsky, yes. This is not the, that The Sam Well. It's the Sam Well. Merjofsky. But the, this will be the third incarnation of the Palms. It opened back around 2001. Uh, it was a locally owned uh, hotel. It was a beautiful hotel when it opened. It was, was sort of like the plant. It was sort of like Hard Rock Hotel Light, I thought, back then. And uh, the owners of the Sacramento Kings... Maloof. The Maloofs uh, owned it back then. They did a nice job. They had a lot of great venues in there. Uh, and then uh, they suddenly uh, kind of got bored with it. I don't know what the finances were, but it got bought by the Fertitas uh, around 2017, I'm thinking, 2016, 2017, who put a billion dollars into a renovation, mm -hmm. including this nightclub that went nowhere, a pool, outdoor pool patios, uh, uh, about five or six high-end restaurants, including one of the few Bobby Flay restaurants I've ever liked called Shark, which I thought was very well done, uh, Scotch 80 Prime, they had Vetri, they had Mr. Coco, which was a, a really a super, super high-end cocktail bar with some of the greatest, highest-end tequilas and whiskeys you'll find anywhere in the world. Uh, they had Mabel's. Uh, they had Mabel's Barbecue. They had uh, Tim Ho Wan, which was a famous uh, Hong Kong uh, dumpling place. So they had all these great restaurants in there. And then, of course, uh, everything cratered around uh, 2020. But it was kind of on the ropes even before the COVID shutdown happened. It was they, the, the, the smart money was talking about how they were struggling in 2018-19. Yeah, and that's why it never yeah. reopened. I mean, well, right, that's right, where right. I'm going. So it kind of was, it, it was absolutely struggling. I remember going to, what was it, uh, the, the Scotch 80? Scotch right, Prime. Prime. Yeah. And, it, and this was the restaurant that now has essentially somewhat reincarnated with Berries. Right? Yeah, Berries. Barry exactly. the, Barry took his crew and moved them downtown to, to, to Circa. To Circa. Yeah. Yeah, Circa yeah. But I remember going there. It was incredibly expensive. Right. And and to be frank, it was empty. It was kind of a ghost town. You'd go there in it the middle of the week. It was a huge steakhouse, yes. It, it was, was a huge restaurant, and it was unnerving at how empty it was. The bar alone, I think, could seat like, a hundred people. I mean, sure. it, 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 sure. it was gigantic in that bar, and it was a, it was a. The, the food was beautiful, and then uh, Barry uh, Dakaki was the chef. 
Uh, and all of, all of the Palms was great, but they overspent, and it was obvious. So it was almost like when 2020 came around and they shut down, it was a relief. Now the Indian tribe has bought it, and uh, they're reopening. And when is it opening? They said April 23rd, which I, if I believe— That's Saturday. Yeah, I just don't that's see tomorrow. that happening. That's tomorrow. <laughs> that's like, yeah, yeah. I, I just don't see that happening. But uh, my insider information is Vetri is going to reopen at Top of the Palms. Uh, he's a fat Mark Vetri is one of the best chefs out there. And uh, I, I think they're going to reboot the menu. I thought it was a little pasta heavy and it was really expensive for what you got. So I'm hoping it becomes a, a, a big success because it would be great to have a, a really, really fabulous high end Italian restaurant that close to the strip. Because right now, Italian on the strip is sort of. It's Cipriani. It's Cipriani. There's not a lot of great Italian on the strip. We have like. 20 good Italian restaurants out in the burbs, but the script is sort of uh, is wanting for that really good Italian food. Right now, now I've got a question. Is Vetri opening when the Palms opens? That I don't know. All I know is I got the inside scoop from somebody who's at the hotel that said, Mark Vetri's reopening. You can take it to the bank. And does it have good views of the Strip? Oh, yeah. Oh, spectacular. And okay. They had a spectacular bar. Everything about Vetri was great, but it was very much an Italian food snobs restaurant. Okay, so Ooh. keep that in mind. So that's no, number one tip. Number two tip is Tivoli Village is going to get a French restaurant from the uh, Edo. You know, the Edo and Anima Edo guys yep. have signed a lease at the old Boston Fish Market space in Tivoli Village to open an, uh, uh, a Spanish-French mashup, sort of a, a, a different mixed metaphor like they've done uh, with Ido and, and Italian and, and Spanish over at Anima by Ido. And they're going to call it La Brasier or La Brasserie. I'm not sure what the name's going to be, but it's going to be the taken bra. of... No, like, more like a, a oh. brasserie, not the bra. <laughs> God, his mind goes right there, Ash. Gutter. I mean, it's what right I deal away, with right away. day in and day you know, out, John. These, these Republicans, oh, you can't get their mind. Out. I know. Ah, uh, gosh. Okay. I, so, <laughs> it, wh what do you make of this particular kind of at death's door shopping center suddenly becoming a food epicenter? What I think is they should give James Trees and the Lev Group and the people behind Al Salito Posto about five percent of all their revenue because. That single restaurant has rejuvenated a moribund shopping center that's been on the ropes and close to bankruptcy now for at least a decade. So it, it's all been rejuvenated. It's becoming foodie central in the Summerlin area. So when they open in, uh, a Spanish-French mashup, I think it'll be more French than Spanish at Tivoli. It'll be great. Do we, have, do we have any idea when? No, no, no idea okay. when. That was just uh, I got that another inside scoop. And finally, I confirmed through the Wolfgang Puck people I know that yes, they will be opening up a, uh, a pastry shop and a boulangerie bread shop just down the road from uh, uh, Velveteen Rabbit here on Main Street. Oh, yeah, yeah. In the Arts District. In the Arts District. I yeah, really yeah. don't need delicious carbs getting closer yeah, to yeah. me. And, 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 and this is going to be the brainchild of Kamel Guchita, who is one of the world's greatest pastry chefs, oh. who's been the head pastry chef for the Wolfgang Puck. Wolfgang Puck Fine Dining Group now for years. And he, it's kind of an independent operation. He and some of the other chefs want to open it up as a, as a bistro with a bakery and pastry shop component attached to it. Well, you know what's perplexing about this, and we just have a, a, a minute here before we need to take a quick break, but uh, I understand that this is something that James Trees and his group is looking to create a bistro with some French flavor to it uh, as well. The more well. the mayor, the more. The more the what merrier. Is this the battle of French pastries? 
I'll take it's it. It's the battle of the beignets <laughs> is what it's going to be, okay? I mean, and, and my money's on both of them because, as we know, because we all live and work down here, I mean, the Arts District is blowing up, and I see it the next five years it really exploding. So there's going to be plenty of room and plenty of customers for two new bistros. And French food and French bakeries, patisseries, et cetera, are sort of an underrepresented part of the grand culinary fabric of Las Vegas. So we could use one. What we don't need is another Italian restaurant. So no more Italian, but except we need fine, fine Italian on the strip. Good Italian on the strip will, will be nice, yes. Beautiful. All right, we're here. We're in studio. It's Friday. The weekend is coming up. We're going to hear where to eat because this is just kind of news. We got to get where it's open. What's open this weekend? Where are we going? Where are we eating? We have John Curtis here in studio with us on What's Right with Sam and Ash. We'll be back right after this. Comfortable and confident is how Sam and Ash Injury Law clients feel after the very first call. Comfortable knowing they have decades of personal injury experience. Confident there's reputation and trust to resolve cases and to do what's right. Sam and Ash Injury Law offers platinum legal service to anyone who contacts them. Quality matters. Integrity matters. Who you hire to protect and represent you matters. If you've been hurt in an accident, choose Sam and Ash Injury Law. 702-820-1234 or SamandAshLaw.com because you deserve what's right and welcome back bottom of the hour here on news talk 840 kxnt it's what's right with sam and ash it's friday which means it's food friday and we've got this guy here in studio with us mr eating las vegas (laughs) uh john curtas the man who puts the ass in Curtis. <laughs> it takes a serious guy to do that, John. So. I know. Yes, uh, it does. It's, um, it's, it's always fantastic to have you here. Now, I, we're going to talk about food and places to go this week, and I have to ask you, because you are a lib on TikTok. I mean, well, allegedly. I, I skew liberal, okay? I, I'm, I'm left center in my politics, but I wouldn't call myself a lib of TikTok. I know where you're going with this. <laughs> Trying to peg do you, him. Do you, I, uh, you follow you follow this account. The libs yes. of TikTok. It's yeah. hysterical. It is so funny. So, Me and Joe Rogan both love it. Yeah. <laughs> so, in your words, right, and, I, and you're yeah. saying this as a as a Democrat who tips like a Republican, as we now like to say on the program. Uh, what's your take on this, right? I mean, you you the to me, libs of TikTok just takes and repackages the insanity that these people put on the internet themselves and draws attention to it. Now, it's that is being repackaged and called bullying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, there's all kinds of <clears throat> blowback against it, which it's kind of funny because it's like what they call a self-own, you know what I mean? Where, where it's like you do something so outrageous that you basically do yourself in, you know, with your own outrageousness. And that's what, that, I mean, that's what lives with TikTok are. And basically it's an ongoing sizzle reel. I think Matt Taibbi calls it a sizzle reel of loony classroom justice warriors, okay, who can't wait to tell you about how they're teaching the kids about pronouns and sexuality and all that stuff. It's just nuts. I played this clip earlier in the week. Real short, this is a teacher, this is a grab from one of these libs of TikTok videos. Listen to this. It's as young as three and four are actually aware of their gender identity, even if they don't have the language for it. To say that pre-K through third grade are not ready for such topics is actually internalized homophobia and transphobia. (laughs) I'm laughing. I am. All those four-year-old transphobes out there. Yeah. We got to do something about those folks. Those three-year-olds are going to be passing legislation against, you know, 
crazy well, sexuality. Well, I think in fairness, what she's saying is that if you object to having this taught to a three or four year old, I get it. You're you're transphobic, which of course is patently absurd. I, I know. I'm overstating. I'm, I'm making an exaggerated <laughs> joke. But but the idea that they're take th- this is the hill they want to die on. You know, teaching four year olds about about sexuality when. Hell, I was I was eleven. I was still playing with army men. Okay, I didn't know what women's breasts were when I was eleven years old. Now you're going to have teachers talking to five year olds about gender identity. That's the dumbest thing ever. But, and most parents agree that it's just kind of dumb. Did eleven year old you know about chicken breasts? I knew about chicken <laughs> breasts and French fries. Priorities, but I, know, but I didn't know about French kissing. But I knew about French fries. Yeah, I mean, come on, kids, you know. Don't don't bring your adult agenda into things like first grade, for gosh sakes. And that that's where the libs of TikTok is very effective in exposing people through their own words about how absurd they are. So the the author of the writer for the Washington Post, her name's Taylor Lawrence. And yeah. you know, she went and she found this particular gal that's right. ha, has this account. She's wildly successful, got millions of followers. Because it's freaking hilarious right yeah. so she's they, they go to her house they go to her family's house but i think the best part of the story is that like three weeks ago the same author that that went to her house and literally publishes her home address her phone number is that called her, doxing it's yes. called doxing right she was herself allegedly the victim of online harassment and said this on an interview with MSNBC. I've had to remove every single social tie. I had severe PTSD from this. I, I contemplated suicide. It got really bad. You feel like any little piece of information that gets out on you will be used by the worst people on the internet to destroy your life. And it's so isolating and terrifying. It's horrifying. I'm so sorry. (laughs) It's overwhelming. It's really hard. The absurdity. It's like she stepped into a boxing ring and everything was fine when she was throwing all the punches. punches, But as soon as the other side punched back, she was like, not fair. This is not what I signed up for. I mean, this, this... They don't understand. And by the way, when you say it's the cell phone, the self-parody, she has now become an extension of it. Oh, exactly. I mean, just it's the hypocrisy runs so deep. I mean, this is where I think social media is. uh, It hasn't done us any favors at all. Everybody's too involved in everybody else's business. I would. I will say this. I actually. I'll tell you. I think that if it weren't for social media, this crazy agenda that is out there right now, some of these truly out there wackadoodle things that are alienating to you know 85% of the country wouldn't be as visible as they are the entire success of libs on tiktok is that it is putting a in the spotlight stuff that otherwise would be in the shadows and and these crazy lunatics and i say this as a parent of three kids that are in schools here in las vegas i want to know what these teachers are telling my kids, and I want to have a say in it. Well, let's be realistic. I mean, as, 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 uh, as much as I like lives of TikTok, and I don't agree with all these crazy teachers, a lot of them seem to be teachers on there. This is, um, the, you know, the, the vast, vast majority, 80, 90%, 95% of all teachers are not doing this. They're conscientious, well-meaning people that are just trying to educate people. But the fringe element is out there, and I guess this is what it exposes is the fringe element. But that's what but fr- I don't want to paint all teachers with that same No, of brush. course yeah, not. Yeah. Of yeah. course not. 
Of course not. But I will say, and you know, and, and that's for another conversation. We've talked about it here on the program this week. Is that there are schools that are really pushing this? It's coming from the administration level, and and part of it is, and it all boils down to what you saw here with Taylor Lawrence, as Ashley said. You know, getting in the boxing ring and then crying when she gets hurt, is it's it's the the concept that you, you have the bullying, right? Bullying is okay if it's if it's if it's there to achieve their ends, right? If it's there to achieve their agenda, the minute that it that that shifts around and comes back at them, I mean, it is tears, it is histrionics, it is it is. But if, if they're if they're isolating kids in school who don't go along with this program, if they're you know if they're drawing attention to kids who don't want to put the gay pride flag on their backpack, that's fine and dandy because that is for a good purpose. So this, to me, this is a an, an issue that's very important. I think it's important to a lot of people, but I think we should talk about food now. Yeah, what does this have to do about crab with crab cakes? That's what <laughs> pizza. I'm well, sorry, gotta, it's okay. I, I'm here for the food talk, and you guys went on limbs of TikTok. I and, know. You, you, come on, I just go where the host takes me here okay <laughs> you know okay what well, what are we gonna talk about we'll talk about food yeah where are we so eating I, I, well uh let me, tell you where, let me tell you some places i had I, i'm gonna give you a hole in the wall and an old favorite okay? i love it okay hole in the wall uh the paso bocas paso bocas colombian bakery Colombia. I like to talk like I'm from Colombia, even though I do not speak in the language. Okay, don't La, be mad at me, folks. Uh, Pasa Bocas, Pasa Bocas Colombian Bakery in the Commercial Center. It is a beautiful little bakery. They've done a nice little build-out. It's a coffee shop. You can have lunch there. They do all these meat and cheese pies. They do punuelos. How do I Ooh, see how look at you? Think of my think of my beautiful Spanish accent there. These are the only that's the only Spanish word do, I know. Doing Duolingo. Yeah. <laughs> One huelos and dos cervezas, por favor. That's the only. That's all I know. It's the only Spanish I know. Uh, but I love Paso Bocas Colombian Baker. The people are great. Uh, they uh, it is filled with sort of I would say a, a Latino crowd who really likes good coffee. They do these these fresh donuts. They do these stuffed with cheese and guava. They do coconut bread. Things that are very specific to Colombian bakeries, and it's our only one in town I know of. And it's right in the middle of the commercial center. It's a little hole in the wall, but it's beautifully done inside, and it's a great place to get your uh, education in Colombian baked goods. And they also have a big chart as you walk in that explains all the different pastries and everything to you. So it's okay. really, really super nice. Paso Bocas Colombian Bakery. Have you had the coffee? Oh, the coffee's great. Oh, oh yeah, deep, rich coffee. Deep and rich, but not as acidic and as high test as we get at some of our local coffee shops. A little more mellow. And then yeah. what's your favorite thing to order when you go? Well, I like the Buñuelos. I mean, these, these fresh, these big round uh, donuts, which you can put powdered sugar on, but they come sort of plain. They're great. And then the coconut bread, the pan coco, which mm. is basically oh. sort of a Buñuelos that's, that's dipped in coconut. And it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at photos. And folks, this yeah. is absolutely yeah. incredible Paso stuff. Bogus Colombian Bakery. They're super nice. And there's a little, there's a little English uh, spoken as a second language there. But everything comes with a translation, and then I, I can't. If you want to try to get outside your comfort zone with some baked goods, I would heartily recommend it. So you go east on Sahara. East on Sahara. People forget the commercial center used to be a big deal in this town. It's only about a half a mile 
uh, east of the Las Vegas Strip, area, uh, east of like the Sahara it's like Hotel. Joe Brown is where the is yeah. where you have the uh, the the old uh, golf course. There, oh, the old the, golf uh, course there, it, Country Club. It was the original uh, shopping center where Lotus of Siam was. This is uh, Paso Bocas is in the big center island there, and it has La Vicendad, which is uh, one of my favorite Mexican restaurants. And then there's a um, uh, then there's a Colombian restaurant right around the corner, which named it Las Brasas, Colombian restaurant. So you can get a lot of interesting food right in the in the center island right there. Easy parking. I mean, it's it's not an upscale shopping center by any means, but you get some types of food that you just don't see many places else in Las Vegas. Fabulous. Now. So that's not my hole in the wall. Okay. My, my old favorite, I have to give a big plug to, Bouchon in the Venetian. Ooh. Bouchon. You know, I'm a French food junkie, everybody. I, I, I would go to France and drop the hat if I, if I could. Uh, just got back from there back in January. But Bouchon has been around since 2003. Thomas Keller's Bouchon Bistro. Still the best French bistro in Las Vegas. The best shellfish. It's a must-go-to if you love fresh oysters. They get the best oysters, and they do the best things with them. They bake all their own bread. They do just classic roast chicken. They do uh, uh, mussels, mussels in a mussel mornier with, uh, with a wine sauce. They do classic French hanger steaks with frites, probably the best French fries of any bistro in town. So Bouchon uh, is probably my favorite French bistro and fabulous French desserts as well. The, the thing to order, which aren't on the menu, are called bouchons, which are actually, an act, a bouchon is actually a little wine cork, but they make chocolate fudge brownies that are in the shape of like a wine cork, and these things are addictive. With chocolate sauce. And Bouchon's Thomas Keller? Thomas Keller, oh. yeah, yeah. So the so, French Laundry King. And uh, it's been here since 2003. And it's, it's been solid forever. And so I've, I just got back there. I tried to get there once a year. I just went and it reminded me how good it is. Well, when we come back, I know you have one more recommendation for us. So I, I want to talk about that. And then I want to ask you about wine, if you have a moment. Because I know a lot of people, they like wine. They're intimidated by wine. And maybe you have a suggestion locally for us. Uh, I'm letting you prepare this, right? Where, right, where people can you. go for a, ambush me. for a little for a little vino, okay. uh, uh, with you know, again, without all the pretension. What's right with Sam and Ash Food Friday? We're back right after this. And welcome back. What's right with Sam and Ash News Talk 840 KXNT Friday? So we're talking about food here with John Curtis in studio with us in beautiful downtown Las Vegas. John, I know you've uh, shared with us some two great spots, Pasa Bocas, Colombian Bakery, uh, in the Commercial Center, uh, just off of Sahara near uh, Joe W. Brown, and then Bouchon in the Venetian. I've, I think there's a Bouchon in Napa, yes, correct? Yes, there is. Yes, and, I, yeah, yeah. and I've That's, been to that one. Yes. I, just, I don't think I've been to this one in the Venetian, but they're they're. I think very the one good. here predates the one there. I mean, oh, really? yeah, this is one of Thomas Keller's first. Uh, forays outside of him. He opened, he opened the French Laundry back in the mid-90s. He went to Per Se in New York City. I think this Bouchon was 2003 when it opened there. And so it's, it's been a solid, great restaurant for a long time. It's kind of a pain in the neck to get to. You have to like park in the Venetian and wind your way through whatever side of the Venetian Palazzo you're on. And, so, and then you get up into an elevator. But once you get there, it's a little oasis of fine French food. And it is just a wonderful, wonderful spot. A real feather in our culinary cap in Las Vegas. <laughs> I love it. So you have, I think, one more suggestion of someplace we could go this weekend. Okay, another place to go. Uh, I want to give everyone a fair warning because uh, 
Uh, it's getting that time of year. May is right around the corner. April's got only, what, uh, 10 more days left or so. Uh, the end of oyster season is upon us. And, you know, never eat oysters in a month without an R in it. You know that, Sam, of course. That's because oysters like to mate and molt and do all that kind of mating thing, and they get watery in the hot summer months. So you try to only eat oysters when the waters are cool. April will come to an end in a few days. So you've only got so many days to eat oysters. Uh, Bouchon has the best ones on the Strip. The best ones off the Strip are at Legends Oyster Bar, uh, basically on Durango near, I think, Desert Inn. Desert Inn in Durango. Uh, Legends Oyster Bar is a really, really cute little joint small looks like it seats about 40 50 people open for lunch and dinner seven days all kinds of seafood they get really quality shellfish fish they do jambalaya they do gumbo chiapino they do crab cakes you name it if it swims they cook it and legends oyster bar is a real favorite with locals for lunch or dinner so get there and get your oysters before the end of april i'm glad you mentioned that entire variety of offerings because I was wondering what an oyster bar would do, you know, in the off months. Like, <laughs> well, what, they what still it... serve oysters. I mean, you can still eat them. They tend to get watery when it gets warm because uh, mating season is upon the oysters in, uh, in June, July, May, June, July, and August, and they just get a little more watery, and that's why the true aficionados only eat them in the cooler months. So you, do, you will not eat them? I, well, I will not eat them in the summer months. The that's, summer. that's one of the reasons I went to France in January to eat them at Cancale, France, which is the oyster capital of France. And eating them in the middle of wintertime is really quite a treat because yeah. they are cold and briny and metallic and just the greatest shellfish ever. Oysters just don't seem like a summer food to me. For yeah. what you know, there's just Thank something you. about yeah. it. Hundred degree plus weather. Right. I'm really yeah. not going for an oyster. Yeah, you, a little raw, slimy yeah, oyster. No. Really Thank much you. better when it's chilly outside. Mm. Yeah. Oysters in heat. Oysters in heat. Yeah. Doesn't <laughs> sound uh, <laughs> yeah. but, double but entendre. O- oysters. Uh, the Legends Oyster Bar. But check it out, folks. It is really. And I just had lunch there recently, and uh, great service. Uh, the people running it. They're uh, Thai Americans. Uh, and they even do some Asian seafood there, and it's just, it's just great. Wonderful. That sounds great. Okay, Legends Oyster Bar. Okay, wine, you said you had a question about wine? Well, wine. So I, you know, when people think about wine, um, if they're not you, right, if they're just, you know, regular folk like me and Ash. The hoi polloi, you mean. <laughs> you know, the the what, great unwashed. I don't know why what? Sam's dragging me down yeah. to this level. <laughs> I just, I'm really concerned. Yeah. Well, here's, I Ashley mean. I knows her grapes. I will play, for, I, here's. Here's basically a sampling of what most of us hear when they listen to wine people talking, okay? Here, here's what we hear. Tannins are big, so chewy, but they're polished and kind of round, and the fruit is very intense. I get lots of cherry cassis. I get some smoky notes, those vanilla notes. <laughs> and there's also a really nice sort of... Uh, Lift of acidity in this. This is an actual a wine bit of a mouthwarming yeah, 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 quality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's exactly um, what people talk. And it's why it's why so, so this wine is, in America is so it, disgusting to me. This is how they talk. They, they it, think it's an exam. They they treat it like a chemistry exam. You know, and wine should be about enjoyment, not about dissecting it into its individual parts like they do. And therein lies my question, right? Yeah. I where do people go? They want to enjoy a nice bottle, and they don't want to be condescended. Ferraros for Italian wine. 
I like Garage East in the Arts District. Garage, Garage East is, if you're a younger person who likes all kinds of unique, interesting bottles, not your old, fusty, uh, baby boomer kind of wines of the 80s and 90s, Garage East is fantastic. Uh, Mar Marche Bacchus has a great uh, selection of wine, and they have some people there will, will walk you through the taste in wine without being pretentious jerks. And uh, I also like Ada's Wine Bar. I mentioned that last week. Uh, Tivoli? In Tivoli well, Village, which is basically got- Back to got the a, Tivoli Resurrection. Yeah, basically, Cat Thomas is the psalm there. It's, it's pretty much an all-female wine staff there, and they know their grapes, and they're a lot of fun and very down-to-earth about it. And I think that's the greatest thing about where wine has gone in the last decade or so is that younger people are getting into it and getting into it for the pure visceral enjoyment of it not the well i'm getting cassis uh you know a little bit of lanolin on the back note you know all that kind of crap you know it's like it's like trying to describe a recipe trying to tell you how a great something is like a thanksgiving turkey or a, a coconut cream pie by listing all of the individual ingredients in it you know, that, that's how stupid all these, these wine tasting notes can be because uh, you don't learn anything if someone just lists the ingredients in a recipe. You just yeah. want to know how good it tastes. Is it full in the mouth? Does it satisfy you? Is it spicy? Is it rich? Is it creamy? You just want to know sensations that you get from it, not individual tiny chemical-like breakdowns, which is takes all the fun out of it. And my thing about wine is just drink what you like. No kidding. Yes. Just if someone else is telling you, you should love this wine, it's the best wine, whatever, just and you don't like it, don't be intimidated. Yeah. Drink what you like. Your palate will evolve. And let me give you the best piece of advice I ever learned about wine. I totally endorse what Ashley just said. That you, folks, you should always learn just enough about wine to drink very well when someone else is paying for it. Okay, that's just, just let that be your guide. Let that be your goal in wine. So somebody gives you the wine list and goes, John, you pick the wine. I'm paying. Sam does this all the time. It's like giving a drunken sailor a loaded gun. <laughs> I don't mind if I do. Yeah, thank you very much. All right. So well, skull, I, Sante, everybody. I think uh, I think there's a lot of here food and drink news you can use as we do every Friday here on What's Right with Sam and Ash. John, thanks for coming in. This is great. Sante, Avotro Sante, Skull, and Bon Appetit, everybody. Wonderful. All right. Well, have a great weekend. Happy Friday. Enjoy Saturday, Sunday. Go out and eat and drink and be merry. We'll see you again next week. Thank you.